Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open. Um, primarily, I'll, I'll be in Hebrews 11 to start, but primarily we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. So we're continuing in our, in our series those of you that are, that are new, we've been in a series where we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter that many people call the hall of faith, listing different Old Testament people and events and, and how faith is worked out in their lives. And we go through each one and look back at the section that it's talking about to see what happened. So today we'll be in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, looking at an event in the life of Moses. And we heard just an incredible message last week, didn't we? on the birth of Moses from Pastor Steve last week. Amen. Thank you, brother. And so now, amen, somebody said back there. So we're going to continue uh, Exodus, 20, Exodus 11, 24 to 26, but primarily we're going to be in, in uh, did I say Exodus? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, but primarily we'll be in Exodus 2, okay? The theme of the message is the diary of a mad Hebrew man. The Diary of a Mad Hebrew Man. So I'll read first the, um, the Hebrews text. Hear now the reading of the Word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then I'm going to read ex, uh, Exodus 2, 11 through 15. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by your well. This is God's word. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the worship time we've been able to, to celebrate with you together. And as we continue in worship now in the, the preaching of the word, we pray that you continue to have your way in us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place and the places where we're gathered to listen or to watch. We pray you would move. Help us to understand the word of God as we study it. But not only that, help us to be able to live in light of what we talk about. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can through your power, through you in us. So help us, Lord. We pray you do all of that for your glory. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 
Amen. So what we have together in this story in Exodus 2, and, and you can hear it from the title, it's really a combination of the Ten Commandments meets the diary of a mad black woman. You can put up those pictures. And the theme today is a diary of a mad Hebrew man talking about Moses. Now, if we could read Moses' diary, what do you think he would say? What do you think he would say at the end? I think he would testify, and we'll see some of it today. He would testify about the graciousness of God. And he testified that there is a God who is going to carry through his promises. He's going to be faithful to whatever he said he's going to do. And not only that, he's going to use imperfect, broken, messed up people to accomplish those very things that he's promised. That's what he would say, I bet, if we were reading his diary. And I wonder if there's anybody that needs to hear that today. I wonder if there's anybody in the room or anybody that's listening online that maybe feels unqualified or maybe disqualified because of what you've done or what you haven't done or what you haven't earned or what you haven't, whatever you haven't done. And you feel like there's no way that God could use me. Because look at what I've done. Look at where I came from. I'm nothing, I'm no, I wonder if there's anybody that ever struggles with that. I wonder if there's anybody that ever struggles and feels like I've been crying out to God for a long time and I don't think he's listening to me. I've been crying out and crying out and nothing seems to be changing. Maybe some are come, come and wonder, God, why are we suffering in this way? Do you really care? Are you going to do anything about it? If you're wondering any of those things, then we need to hear and we need to see what happens with Moses here because he speaks to all of those different things in this diary of a mad Hebrew man. As we look at this passage, we're going to see three things. And let's start with the first one. And what we see in Moses, the first thing that we're going to see is he has the right motivation. The right motivation motivation. Now let's look at Hebrews um, 2 verse 11. Now here it says, when Moses had grown up. So you remember last week, Pastor Steve was talking about when Moses was a baby. And now what happens is it fast forwards to where Moses is a grown man. And if you go to that next slide, um, the Acts one, Stephen says that he's about 40 years old. And now let's go back, back to uh, verse 11. It says, one day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Do you see that phrase it says there twice talking about his people? Literally, it means his brothers. That's, and, it's, and, and when it says there looked, it's, that's a simple word, right? But that word, literally, it means to watch intently with emotion. Right? He's, he's caring. His heart is moved as he's looking at the burdens of the people that he calls his people. Now, go back to that Acts 7 passage, the next one. It says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. And so think about in between where Pastor Steve left off last week when Moses was a baby and he ends up going into Pharaoh's house. And he's raised in Pharaoh's household. This is the most powerful nation in the world at the time. 
And so Moses gets the very best education. Anything that money or anything else could offer, Moses got it. But look at where his heart is. That next part, it says, when he's 40 years old, it came into his heart. Do you see that? To visit his brothers. And who's he talking about with his brothers? The children of Israel. And so let's think about it. Moses has been brought up in the house of Pharaoh, right? He's getting all the education of Pharaoh. But what else is that telling us? It's telling us that that's not the only education that he got. It wasn't just learning about the ways of the Egyptian. Somebody was teaching Moses about the ways of the Israelites. Somebody was telling him his own story, probably his mama or his older sister. But they are telling him who he really is. So much so that he identifies the Israelites, the people who've been enslaved for 400 years, as his brothers and sisters. And there's two parts of his motivation that I want to show you here. There's an outward and there's an inward. If you go back to verse 11 again, it says in there that he, he went to his people and it's one of his own people. What is that saying? Moses has a concern for his brothers. He has a concern for justice. Is there anybody concerned for justice in here? Is there anybody that has a concern for the oppressed? Is there anybody that has a concern for God's suffering people? Moses did. That was part of his motivation for what he's about to do. But there's not just an outward motivation. There's also something even deeper going on here. There's an inward motivation. And we see that if we look back to the passage in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, and it says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, when did he refuse to do that? It's talking about this very incident. And what it's meaning is, in this incident, Moses is choosing to identify with the people of God the Israelites. He is making a decision. And it tells us there, it says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Do you see that? Moses made a choice. He made a choice of who he was going to identify with. He made a choice right here of who he was going to align himself with. And think about that, right? Moses could have had any of the treasures of Egypt. Right, I don't know if y'all remember these shows, when, but when I was growing up, they would have these lifestyles of the rich and famous shows. Or they'd have Yo! MTV Cribs. And you would go and see these amazing places. I mean, palaces, right? Moses had all of that. It was all before him. But it says there that, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his reward. What is that saying? That word that's translated considered, it means that he's weighing them against each other. He's weighing them. He's saying, all right, on this side, I've got all the treasures of Egypt, but then on this side, I've got what? What's he got on the other side? Not just the reproach of Christ, but look at what he says about the reproach of Christ in that verse. The reproach of Christ is greater wealth. Do you see that? So Moses is not making a choice where he's saying, I want the wealth or not the wealth. 
He said, this one is the greater wealth. The wealth of Christ is the greater one. Now, this is even before he knows as much as we know about Christ. All he knows is God's going to send somebody who's going to deliver. He doesn't even know the stuff that we know about Christ. And yet, he knows that that wealth is greater than what he's going to leave behind in Egypt. If you go to that next slide, Jesus laid it out this way in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Can you picture that? And then look at what happens. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and he buys the field. Again, another one, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. What they're saying in those examples is this treasure is greater. It's worth giving everything else up for. And that's what Moses does here. He's saying this motivation. And so before we get to that, we have to ask ourselves, what about us, right? What about our motivations? Think about what was Moses' outward motivation? He's identifying with who? With Israel. And how does it refer to Israel? They're his brothers. They're his people. And so I ask us, who are we identifying with? Are we identifying with the people of God, particularly the suffering people of God? Or with whatever the world has to offer? Moses had to make that choice. But what about inwardly? Right? He's saying, I would rather have the reproach of Christ. The kingdom of God is worth everything else. So what about us again? Have we recognized what the person in Jesus' example did? That this pearl of greatest price, this treasure of life with God, is greater than everything the world has to offer. Is there anybody here that can testify that you can give me everything else in all the world, silver and gold, all of that stuff, I'd rather have Jesus. And then I'd be all right. Maybe there's somebody that's wrestling with that decision. You're like, wait a minute, the things of the world, they look pretty spectacular. They look pretty attractive to me. Versus the suffering of Jesus. What? That doesn't make any sense. How is it that he can see it as wealth? Well, we'll see that as we go along. But first we see Moses has the right motivation. But then we're going to see secondly that Moses has the wrong application with what he does. He had the right motivation, but he had the wrong application. Now let's look and see. Verse 12. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he sees the Egyptian slave driver abusing the Hebrew slave. And so Moses takes it into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian. Now it's right for Moses to have a heart for justice, isn't it? It's right for him to care about his people. That's absolutely right. But what Moses does here is wrong. He takes a life. And then how did the people respond? Probably not the way Moses thought they would. Verse 13. The next day, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling. That means they were fighting together. 
And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And then look at this, verse 14. He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Ooh, oh, oh, can you feel that? Oh, man, what? And then Moses is afraid because he thought he'd done it in secret. But now he says, surely the thing is known. And isn't this wild, y'all? Moses ends up leaving after this. Moses is rejected by the Egyptians, right? Because of what he's done. But he's not just rejected by the Egyptians, is he? He's also rejected by his own people. I wonder if anybody knows what that feels like. You get rejected by the culture out there. Maybe it's the dominant culture that's told you, here's everything that you need to do to succeed, and you feel like you've done that, and you still are treated as an outcast. Maybe you know what that feels like. But then, do you know what it feels like to be rejected by your own people? Look at this verse from Acts 7. Moses, it says, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And this is going to be a pattern, right? Moses, you're like, you better get used to this, bro, because you're going to be 40 years out in the wilderness being rejected by your own people <laughs> with them grumbling against you. But this is what happened. So, so how did this go wrong? So let's look at what happened on both a micro and a macro level, all right? A micro level, a little le Let's look at Moses' own heart. And what happened, Moses sees the person being abused, and Moses takes matters into his own hands, doesn't he? He's angry. And you know what? That's not, it's not sinful to be angry. Witnessing injustice should make us angry. Because people that are treated in the image of God are not being treated that way. But then look at what happens. If you go to the next slide, Moses is doing what Paul talks about here in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. So Moses let his sin go, or let his anger move into sin, and he took the man's life. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Another verse that's similar to that in Proverbs 29. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, and there it means his anger. But a wise man quietly holds it back. And so what's going on inside for Moses? He's right to be angry. But then that anger moves into sinful action in how he responded to it. Do y'all remember in, in Genesis 4, I think Pastor Steve preached on that, right, with Cain? Right, do y'all remember when Cain was upset because his offering wasn't accepted, but his brother's offering was accepted? Y'all remember that? And God comes, it's, it's fascinating, man. God comes and has really a counseling session with him. And he says, Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, do you remember what he says? Sin is crouching at your door. Do you see that? And what's an animal do when it's crouching? It's ready to pounce, isn't it? It's ready to attack. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. And that's what happened with Moses. That anger that he had, that, that righteous anger that he felt is right. 
But then sin was crouching and moved it into sin. Now think about Moses for a second. Remember, he's in the palace, right? He's higher up. He could do something about this situation. He actually had the power to do it. But instead, he, in his anger, he took the man's life. And so that's on a micro level. But what about on a macro level? If you go back to that verse in um, uh, one more verse, I think, in Hebrew, in Exodus. Yeah. Remember what he said? Who made you prince and judge over us? That's an interesting question, and it's a fair question. He's saying, Moses, you're acting, how do we say it, above your pay grade. Moses, you need to stay in your lane. Whose lane was Moses getting in? God's. He's trying to act in the place of God. Go back to verse 12 for a second. Sorry, I got these a little out of order, Josh. Thank you for your patience. Look at verse 12. You see that phrase at the beginning? He looked this way and that. Now, I always thought he did that because he wanted to get away with it, right? But actually, as I was reading, some of the commentators, they said that's maybe not exactly what was going on. See, it might also be in the sense he's looking this way and that to see if there's anybody else who's going to do something about this. Is there anybody else that's going to stand up and do something about this injustice? And so Moses looked this way and that, and it says what? Seeing no one. He struck down. What is Moses doing? We call it taking matters into our own hands. But whose matters is he taking into his own hands? God's. That's what he's doing. He's saying, God, you ain't doing nothing about this, so I got to do it myself. I don't know if anybody's ever been there where God is taking too long or God is not acting in the way that you think that he should be. And you decide that I, I need to take care of this. I need to do it. God did not call him to do this. Now, when we get to the Joshua sermons, we're going to talk about um, where God actually does call people to take people's lives in the warfare. We're going to get to that later. But this is an instance when Moses is sinning. He's wrong for what he did. He had the right motivation, but he had the wrong application. And so let me ask you, what can we take away from that? Again, where is sin crouching for you? Where is sin crouching, desiring to have you? Maybe it's in a place where you're angry. Maybe it's in a place where you're prideful. Maybe it's in a place of lustfulness or envy. Where is sin crouching, desiring to have you? Not only be aware of that, but get some help. <laughs> we got to tell somebody. So they can help us because we can't do it on our own. Second, where are we being tempted to take matters into our own hands? Right? We absolutely are a church and a people that cares about justice. Right? We do. That's, that's part. Maybe we should, <laughs> we should go the Moses route sometime. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you're like, this is taking too long. 
or they're not acting right, or this or this, or you can say anything else to fill in the blank. Where you're like, I think I know how to get justice. And really what we're talking about is not getting justice, but vengeance. But what does God say about that? In Romans 12, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, if you think about this story, on the one hand, if you keep on and we, we kind of know the full picture of the story, you see God bring justice on them. And it begins 40 years later. And honestly, like I've been struggling as I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the fact that the Israelites have been enslaved for 400 years. And so think about this for a second. I know God has promised that, that he's going to come and he's going to deliver. He's going to be faithful to his covenant, but it's 400 years. So there's some people that are born into slavery and then they die in slavery without ever seeing that promise fulfilled. And that's where I'm like, come on, God. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. And so as I share this, I'm not sharing it to say, well, that's the easy answer. It is the answer, right? But it's not easy to walk in it. And I don't have the answer for how to do that. I'm just naming it and saying that it's hard. But he is the only one that's qualified to play God. If God were making a movie about himself, there's nobody that he could get to play that part except him. <laughs> He's the only one. And so I ask you, in the places where sin is crouching or the places where you want to take matters into your own hands, can you trust God in that place? But I know that he's good. Can you trust him in that? Let's go to the last part. And this maybe will help us see that we can. We've already looked at the, the right motivation and the wrong application. Now let's get to the Lord's preparation. Look at verse 15. It says, when Pharaoh heard of it, heard what happened, he sought to kill Moses. Now you know something I just thought about here? Why does Pharaoh want to kill Moses? And I always thought it's because he killed the other guy, right? But actually, that's not why. The reason that he wants to kill Moses is because Moses has chosen to side with the Israelites and to identify with them. Think about Pharaoh's household. They probably are killing the foreman all the time. It's probably not a big deal. But the big deal is Moses identifying not with the Egyptians, but with the Israelites. And then it says, Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Can you put yourself in Moses' shoes for a second? Think about this. You've grown up in the palace. You've, been, you've had the best education there is. You have everything going for you, don't you? You seem like the perfect deliverer too, right? You've got a heart for the people, and now look. It's over. It looks like, right? How in the world can God bring anything good out of this? 
But actually, as we keep on reading, you find out that the ultimate deliverer is still on the throne. Moses' exodus from Egypt was actually going to be God's preparation to lead the exodus of the Israelites. God is going to work in his life. Look at the next verse. It seems like Moses actually learns, learning things already. It says, the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and stood up and saved them. And that's the same word. Sam told us about that earlier. You can also translate it, delivered them. And he watered their flock. I say Moses is learning because he didn't kill the brothers this time. Right? He just drove them off. But isn't it wild that now Moses acts like a deliverer? And the, the wild thing, if you skip to the next slide, is Moses gets taken in by the Midianites. Right? His own people didn't appreciate what he did, but the Midianites did. His own people wanted him to leave. The Egyptians wanted him to leave, but the other people took him in and made him family. Look at God. Some of y'all can testify about the fact you've been rejected by all these other people and places, and yet God's people took you in. Look at this. It says, Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, what's significant about that? What is Moses getting ready to learn about? He has grown up in the place of privilege. But now, Moses is learning about what it means to be an alien. He's learning what it means to be a sojourner. Why might that be helpful for Moses? Because he's going to be leading the people of God in that very thing. Look at God. But then look what happens here in that next slide. It said, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And this next verse, I'm thinking about people in this room or maybe people online that are thinking, God doesn't hear me. God doesn't see me. I've been crying out to God, and he doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. The people didn't know what's going on, but look at verse 24. It says God heard their groaning. They didn't know that, but God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And y'all know we talked about this before. When it says God remembered, it doesn't mean that God said, oh, my goodness, I had completely forgot about that covenant. I better go do something now. That's not what it says. That's not what it means. It means that God is choosing to act right now on the basis of the promises that he's already made. He's activating his promises. He's activating and being faithful to what he said he was going to do. There is something that God doesn't remember, though. <laughs> That's our sins. Because through Jesus Christ, it says, I will remember their sins no more. But God remembers his covenant. And what's he going to do about it? Last verse, 25. It says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. What did God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. And when it says God knew, it doesn't mean that he just acquired new information. 
it means that he's getting ready to stand up and do something about it. Listen, maybe there's somebody that's coming here that's wondering about the Lord's preparation in your own life. You're wondering, Lord, can you bring anything good out of all the ways that Satan has tried to destroy me, tried to destroy my family? Is there anything good that you can bring out of that? Oh, yes, it is. Do you understand that we have a God that hears you and sees you and remembers you and knows you? Oh, won't he get up? Maybe not when you want him to, but won't he get up right on time? This is the Lord's preparation. Can you believe that today? That even in the midst of your pain and sorrow and struggle right now, that even if you don't understand, God is using that to prepare you for what's coming. Can you believe that even though you don't know what God is up to, he still is. Did you see that? They didn't know. But we can look at it and say, God saw it. And God is getting ready to act. I don't know how God is going to act with what's going on with you, but he knows. And we know that he's good. Can you trust today in the Lord's preparation? And you say, Pastor, how can I know that I can trust in that? Because you have to look beyond this Moses to look on to the greater Moses. Because don't you understand that we have a greater Moses who didn't just come down from a palace in Egypt, but came from his home in glory. And he also was rejected and despised by men. He was crucified for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Do you understand that there is one who for the joy set before you, before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he lives to intercede for you now in those times when you have the right motivation and the wrong application. He's able to turn it into the Lord's preparation, all for his glory. So I don't know what's in your diary, but we can see what's in Moses. So we pray that may God help us to have the right motivation, the right application, and the Lord's preparation in our own lives. Let's pray. Thanks for listening, and God bless.